New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Is death actually a transition from one kind of life to another? Are our loved ones close at hand even after death? Can we collaborate with loved ones from different sides of the veil of death? Is there a reality to soul and spirit? Today we'll be exploring these and many other questions with our guest, Cynthia Spring. Cynthia Spring is a media producer and for 20 years was deeply involved in the local ecology of the San Francisco Bay Area. She's the co-author of two books and has authored The Wave and the Drop, Wisdom Stories About Death and Afterlife. Her most recent book is a collaboration beyond the veil of death between herself and the late Dr. Francis Vaughn, who passed from this life in 2017. Their communication is reflected in the book Seven Questions About Life After Life, Book One. Join us for the next hour as we explore a dialogue based on seven questions about life after life with our guest, Cynthia Spring. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Cynthia, may I call you Cindy? Please, that's the way you've known me for all these years. For many, many years. So, Cindy, welcome to New Dimensions. Thank you for the invitation. I would like to begin. This is a very surprising collaboration. (laughs) So, describe to us how it came about and just what this collaboration entails. You mentioned um, my writing, The Wave and the Drop, uh, which I did starting around 2014, Uh, That was based on collecting stories from the different wisdom traditions, uh, Christianity, uh, Hinduism, Buddhism, Native American, um, in order to compile a very small book on what the different traditions say about what happens at death and after death. And I was uh, losing friends, and I lost my mother-in-law, and they all were, you know, having separate stories. And it seemed to me that having a story at the end of your life to kind of write out on, um, could be very important. So the contribution was the wave and the drop, which is from Hinduism, which is that a wave spawns little drops, and the drops have an individual existence uh, while they're drops, and then they fall back into the wave. And when I told my mother-in-law that story during her dying time, she loved it, and she just wrote out on it. 
and she would go into a coma and come back, and she said, oh, I'm still here. I'm still a drop. <laughs> and, oh, you, so she really, you really she helped re- her. Absolutely. And uh, the different stories in the book uh, use the different traditions. And that got me interested in the whole area of uh, death and afterlife. And uh, frankly, I didn't have my own story. Um, my favorite story that I was writing at the time was from Willis Harmon, who used to be the head of uh, Institute of Noetic Sciences and one of my mentors for many years. And I was told that on his deathbed, he said, I'm off to my next great adventure. I remember when he said that. That's ama- It was amazing to me. Yeah. Uh, and that held me. I mean, that was that you know. Uh, but it's kind of vague. Um, but it, so what I did then was to um, do more research and talk to different people, read lots of books, and I happened to uh, go to a lecture by Matthew McKay, who I know you've interviewed, uh, who wrote a book called Seeking Jordan, uh, about after his son was uh, brutally murdered in San Francisco, who was only 23 years old. Matthew was just bereft and wanted to connect with his son and tried different things, and finally it came upon automatic writing. And so my husband and I attended that lecture, and he said, people should try it. You should try it if you have a loved one that you've lost recently. Francis uh, Vaughn, my dear friend, had just passed about four months earlier. And I thought, I'm going to try and contact Francis. Before before you go into that, can you just give a little of who Francis was in sure. this life? A little, Just a little brief outline or bio on her. She was um, a leader in consciousness research, in promoting uh, the idea of consciousness as a primary reality, and uh, she was president of the Association for Humanistic Psychology. She was also very involved on the ground floor with transpersonal psychology. She authored several books. She spoke uh, around the world, and, uh, and she was my dear friend. I have a story about Francis. When Michael and I went to Bali and we went, we got an audience with a special healer uh, named Kutit Lear, I think his name was, if I'm pronouncing that right. And as we were sitting with him, behind his head on his bookshelf, was one of Francis's books. I think it was the Intuition book, Awakening Intuition. And it just made us smile. Here we are all the way to Bali, and here, here was Francis there. This was, she, of course, was still living at the time. That book influenced many, many people. It opened the door to people exploring intuition, which she always saw as the gateway to developing psychic abilities and just expanding your sense of reality. So now here you are, um, she has passed on, I think, is what you have just said. So what happened? How did this new book and collaboration happen? Well, I followed uh, Matthew McKay's instructions, as I said. Um, His lecture about contacting his son really impressed me. And so he just gave this simple list of instructions, and I remember him saying, he's a psychotherapist who um, has one specialty of um, parents who have lost their children tragically. He obviously has 
Paul's uh, experience in that. And he says sometimes when he feels it's right, he suggests to the client that they try automatic writing. And he gave a very simple set of instructions. Have a picture of the person, something that belonged to them ideally, and then focus using a, a visualization uh, technique. And so I went home, uh, and a few days later I tried it. Uh, I had a scarf from Francis, um, and I put that on. I had her picture from a memorial, and uh, I just uh, said, Hello, Francis, are you there? And bingo, she showed up. And by that I mean I heard telepathically in my head um, her voice, her uh, sense, you know, and, and talking to me. And it wasn't me making it up. It really felt like there was a, a conversation. Had you ever had an experience like this before? I mean, are, have, do you think of yourself as being clairvoyant in some way or being able to hear hear audit, auditorily something like that? You've never had that before. It just sort of popped, huh? Right. It uh, it just uh, it, it worked. I think because I had a personal connection. Uh, I was always interested in psychic abilities. I studied with Helen Palmer and Ann Armstrong. I'm sure names that you're familiar exactly, with. Exactly. Both uh, former and, guests. And yeah, in the '80s, um, and I was a dud. I mean, other people were getting <laughs> telepathic messages and remote viewing drawings oh. and all of that, and I got nothing. So I just decided that that wasn't an aptitude that I had. But I was interested in it, and I read about it. And uh, like I said, I was open to it. You know, Matthew convinced me that regular people can try it, and it can work if you have enough of a bonding with that person. You know, I know that you and I go back a long ways, and... Both of us, and you've mentioned this in your book in several places, both of us were very enamored and inspired by the work of Jane Roberts and her early work in the 70s called Seth Speaks. And it just, it's all about like the other, the across the veil of death. And it was fascinating. So tell me. What was your first question when you heard that? Okay, she's there now. Now what? What are you? Are you going to ask her a question or what? What was of, your first question? Of course, uh, and I did write everything down because Matthew said have a pad and paper and you know and just write things down as they come. And so I said, "How are you?" And she said, "I'm doing fine. I'm just work. You know, just getting used to this new." Uh, area that I'm in right now, which was very real to her, and uh, it was, um, she went on to describe it, which uh, happens in the book, in the seven questions, and uh, at first we just chatted. I said, did you know you were going to die? And she said, yes, I did. I saw her a week before she died, and I said, did you know the day that you were going to die? And she said, not exactly, but I had an intuition um, that things were coming to an end. Uh, so I asked her those kinds of questions. How did she die? Did she have a long illness or was no, it sudden? No, no. Like I said, we had dinner. She seemed fine. She was 82. Uh, and uh, and then a week later, she was having dinner with other close friends in a public restaurant uh, along with her husband. And she just apparently got an attack. What happened was she had an aneurysm mm -hmm. uh, in her heart. Mm -hmm. And um, if when they show up, you don't have very much time left. They rushed her to the Marin General Hospital, and um, and she was gone within a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. 
So now she is on the other side, and you're saying, how are you? And she said, well, I'm getting used to it. So, uh, right. like, first of all, she describes the two different realities, so to speak. There is this reality, when the material reality in body, and, and there's another uh, psychic uh, who, who I love how she describes it. She, she, this is a, a nun. Who, who you describe in the book, I think, Ellen Graves, who is speaking to another nun who's passed on. Right. And she uses a phrase which really struck me. She said, life is only separated by density. Can you explain what she meant by that? Well, I don't know frequencies and density and all of that, but I do have a sense, you know, we're both using the radio, and there's radio frequencies depending on where you tune into um, the dial, right? And there are different frequencies of uh, reality. There are different frequencies of material reality and non-physical reality. We don't see radio waves, for instance. You know, there's just many, many different dimensions with different frequencies. There isn't just one heaven and one nirvana, you know, that's a separate frequency. And at the beginning of our conversation, I had no idea this was going to become a book. But by the second uh, session that we had, uh, she said, we're going to do a book together. And I said, okay. And uh, we were off and running. And we had about 50 sessions that created the Seven Questions book. So, in, of course, you were asking her, one of the questions is, what is it like on the other right. side? And we're all very curious about that, for sure. And what I was struck by was that she conveyed that it continues to be a learning experience. So we'll talk about that in just one moment. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Cynthia Spring, and she is the co-author with... Francis, Dr. Francis Vaughn of Seven Questions About Life After Life, Book One. And if you want to know more about Cindy and her work, you can go to her website, cindyspring.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Cindy Spring, and we're talking about life after life, and that's the subject of her collaboration of her book with Dr. Francis Vaughn, who is passed on, and so this is a channeled book, I, I, we would call it. 
and it's called Seven Questions About Life After Life, book one. We're going to look forward to the next book, too, now. But um, so here we are. Francis is saying that it's a learning experience and that, you know, some of us think about heaven, you know, or going into another place, and then it's all finished. But that's not the way she describes death of the human body. Right. That's we're here to learn. Uh, we borrowed a term from another writer, moral gymnasium, which I really like about coming to Earth, coming to an incarnation, and having to be tested about our values, our goals, how well we do, how well we stick to them, all of that kind of thing. And uh, people have many, many, many incarnations to learn different things and perhaps didn't learn it at one time and have to come back and try it again. Um, but she says that the learning goes on on the other side. She's involved in learning where she's at, too, and uh, that it's all a process of learning and becoming closer to the one. Uh, we used various terms, all that is, the one. Her favorite term is God. So we have a whole discussion about God yeah. because uh, in my background, uh, God has some baggage, just the term God. Um, certainly people are welcome to use it and it's meaningful to them and we have a, a wonderful discussion there is no term the whole thing is very very um, hard to describe ineffable is what most people on the other side say and so whatever term works for you um, you know is the term to use and again she uses God quite often and I use all that is my current definition of God is the quantum field of infinite intelligence and divine energy in which we are all embedded. And I think it goes along with what she was talking about and what you were talking about, that it is a, a, a field of energy. I mean, it, it's all pervasive. There's no getting behind it or around it or above it or below it. It's just all there. And how else does she describe what she calls God? God is not an individual, for sure. God is uh, an omnipresence, and uh, some people call it love. I like that term also. Uh, and uh, she just describes in detail a kind of, of atmosphere of love and light and communion that pervades the dimension that she's in and the other dimensions that she uh, has access to. And she understands that she's just moving along on an evolutionary path, but the goal is to become one with the one. And uh, the message is that we are always one with the one. We just have to wake up and realize it. And that can be quite a comfort to you say, like, then we come back, we come out back into an incarnation in human form. If it's so beautiful and wonderful and all love and, and everything in this other dimension, why would we decide to come back? I ask her that very question, and you'll have to read her answer. But it is about uh, an evolutionary process of learning that we are part of the one. And right now, you know, we, see, we feel ourselves as separate, certainly separate egos, separate bodies, all of that. And there's a purpose for that, that we, we test it out, but we keep learning that we all 
are part of the one. At one point, I say to I say, Francis, aren't we making this other side too glossy and too wonderful and too new agey and all of that? And she says, "There's there are no words. If anything, we are understating it." This is Francis describing her experience on the other side in the dimension that she's in. I love listening to the angels sing where I am now. I'm surrounded by beautiful colors, sounds, feelings of God's presence. I can tune in to the sounds or choose to focus on my own interior music. It's always available, but as on earth, I have work to do, learnings I have to absorb in order for my soul to evolve toward the one. But there's no fatigue, no sense of something will be amiss if I don't attend to it right now. It's more a drawing toward a wanting to be in an even greater reality of energy and knowing, and most of all, love that permeates and deepens with every experience I have here. You just want more, not in a greedy way, but in a way that expands your capacity to be of service, to understand the larger dimensions of the path of the one. So what did you get from that when you were writing that? I want to point out, this is a dialogue you're having with Frances. There are questions in the book, the questions you're asking her, questions we are really curious about as well. I noticed that as I read. And then she answers. What do you take from that? Uh, it's a description of of something that we can only imagine. And she always says, you know, there are not words um, to really fully communicate yes. the, the experience. These words, I want to point out to your listeners, are exactly the way they came to me. I did not do anything. If I added a bridge or something, I put it in parentheses, and it's clearly indicated. My words I worked on and labored on to make sure, <laughs> like my introduction to the book and all of that, that was not channeled material. But the material that is reflected from Francis is verbatim what Francis said. I did not change it. What what did she say about the the people, or not the people, or the entities or the energy around her? Is there a, a, a group that she's with? Is there something, the relationships up there, I'm saying up, but... Wherever there is. Wherever there is, right. Uh, She describes an Earth-like setting. Many people who have channeled uh, information from the other side, uh, people on the other side, like Francis Banks, you mentioned the nun, uh, called the Testament of Light uh, book, um, and um, uh, Matthew McKay's son, uh, uh, Jordan, describe, you know, a place that we would recognize, you know, with greenery and parks and buildings and things like that. Uh, only they're created. They're a consensus reality. And you realize that they are simply a consensus reality that people have agreed to be part of, you know, this particular little area. People are in groupings. They're not just everybody who's passed is in the same uh, area. Um, there are all different kinds of uh, what Bob Monroe, who wrote wonderful books on out of body, described as territories, you know, or villages or whatever, that you still have groupings, a sense of being with a group that you can relate to. So my village might look different from your village. Absolutely. Unless we're of the same group in the same right. village, right, right? Which we might be. We might be. That could. That's yeah. a, definitely a yeah. possibility. Uh, the thing that I... Um, 
I think comes through that was new for me was that there are so many different dimensions. There's so many different kinds of ways of, of um, you know, creating the reality that you want to live in on the other side. And, uh, and so, you know, it can be pretty much anything you want it to be. Did uh, she talk about life uh, going back and looking over, view your life in past lives and all of that, that to, to get a grasp of that? Was Absolutely. That- uh, even in Wave and Drop, the prior book that I did, life review seems to pop up in uh, every uh, wisdom tradition. And so I asked Francis at length what that was about. And the, she gave the general description that um, is familiar to me, uh, which is that you go through all of the experiences. It's like watching a videotape. Um, and you go through all of the experiences, positive and negative, and you see the hurt that you caused or the the, um, you know, unkind things that you might have done, or even worse for some people, and you get to see all of it, but the the bad stuff um, comes to you as you being the recipient. You get to feel what that was like um, and experience it, and from that perspective, that's the learning, because then you learn not to do it again. It's like putting your hand on a hot stove. Generally, you only have to do it once, and you just, you never do it again, right? And you see the pain you've caused, or um, the insult that you gave, or whatever, uh, or the or worse, how you treated a child, or something like that, and that's the learning. You learn not to do that again. And so then there could most likely be a progression as you come back into form again. There's some sort of progression that you've learned some value or lesson, and you're not going to do that one. There'll be others, but... Hopefully, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully, hopefully. I'm wondering about the idea. I mean, you were able to contact... Francis, and that was wonderful. But uh, what is the process if we want to contact our loved ones? What what can you tell us that Francis has said about how to, if that's possible, and and how we go about it? Uh, I followed Matthew McKay's guidelines on that, and it will sh- all show up in book two if I can promote that. Uh, basically, you have. Um, a picture of the person, uh, something that belonged to them, if you can do that. And you go through a sense of being a uh, a tower, an antenna that's reaching out into the cosmos and just opening yourself up. And you go into a meditative state, and then you just say, are you there? And Mm -hmm. when I said, are you there... Francis showed up. She said at one point in the book, she um, said, you know, I've been waiting for you to show up. That was my question, that are the people, do they want to be in contact with us? Did Francis say anything about that? Are, are they wanting to be in contact with us? She said, uh, here's an image. Uh, imagine a whole set of phone banks that doesn't happen anymore, <laughs> but the old-fashioned phone banks that used to be and all kinds of people waiting in line, hopefully, to contact people on this side. And very few people on this side are open to it. Either they think it's wishful thinking or it's a way to get past the grief, but they don't take it seriously. And Francis says there are many, many more people on the other side that would love to contact loved ones, uh, as she did of me, and um, and they're not open to it. If there is a progression that happens in this realm, this other alternative, this alternative reality, 
you said earlier that we were, we're going for to be more at one with the one, with that all-pervasive energy of God or whatever term we use. Is there something that we do if we contact a loved one? Are we holding that loved one back from that progression? That's a great question. That's a more sophisticated question than the book addresses. But um, they do move on. I asked her one. She said uh, more recently, because we're working on book two, um, that she's moving on to a higher plane. And I said, I hope that doesn't mean the end of our relationship. And she said, oh, no. As long as I care to be in touch with you, I will be there. And, you know, but at some point, uh, I will be out of range. Um, because I will move on. But she already told me at the end of book one, this is a trilogy. And I was really taken aback. I said, I was so exhausted from doing the first one. And then she said, oh, no, we have two more to do. So this this union of our loved ones can continue in a very real sense. Yes, and uh, and there are so many books and people talking about that kind of thing. I'm here with Cindy Spring. She is the co-author with Francis Vaughn of Seven Questions About Life After Life, Book One. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. here with Cindy Spring, and she has collaborated with Dr. Francis Vaughn, who has passed on, written a channeled book called Seven Questions About Life After Life, book one. We're looking forward to book two and book three. Uh, Cindy, I'd love to, I know that this is all based in some way on the work of Raymond Moody and his near-death experiences, we now call them NDEs. People are very familiar with this. Can you describe that work? Yeah, in fact, my title, um, Seven Questions About Life After Life, uh, gives a nod to Raymond Moody, who was a pioneer in talking to people who had near-death experiences. These are experiences of people who actually are declared clinically dead or very, very near death in a coma, come back to report that there's this marvelous world on the other side that has loved ones on the other side and has all of this um, color and sound and the presence of God and love, and they come back to report on it. They're oftentimes like they're they're brain dead. It's not like a brain activity. Right. It's like the brain no longer filters out something in some way, and it just, they are able to pop into this other reality. It's quite amazing, isn't it? It is, and and Raymond Moody's book, Life After Life, which came out in 1975, really opened the door for a lot of other researchers. There are tens of thousands of recorded NDE uh, 
experiences that are archived, and uh, something is going on. Um, and uh, so there's a wonderful one by Mary Neal, who was a surgeon and kayaker, who um, died in a whitewater accident. And, uh, you know, she, as far as she was concerned, she was dead, except she went to this marvelous domed building and, uh, and got all of this information with, you know, that said, you must go back, you have um, more to do, which turns out to be at least writing two books and uh, to heaven and back a doctor's extraordinary account of her death heaven angels and life again a true story Um, that's her first book Uh, there are people who have written very eloquently about those experiences and the one thing that um, comes through all of them is um, the lack of fear of death anymore they know what it's like they know that there's another existence well, now that's an important point, and I, I think it's something that I grasp from the book with your collaboration is that how helpful that is in these really uh, very challenging times that we're in right now. And what does Francis say about these times and how we can hold them and, and how, what can be helpful to us in these perilous times? Well, I don't think we have to, you know, convince anybody that there are a lot of things going on, climate change and uh, wars and autocrats taking over and all kinds of places. So the evidence is clear. What Francis suggests is that we need to put a larger frame on what's going on. And she said when things like that are about to happen, when the earth is about to reset, uh, rebalance itself, um, and there's going to be a lot of chaos and turmoil, that people like me, like you, show up and say, wait a minute, there's a larger frame that we can put on this whole thing. These are just temporary lives. We, you know, have existence beyond um, this space-time dimension. And uh, those are very important messages to be carrying out right now. And what is the action that we can take then? I mean, because we want to be of help, even, even if things are perilous and Whatever the outcome, we don't know the actual outcome, and we want to be of help. And I, I think this is where Francis has told us uh, that it's about kind of love, compassion, gratitude. Do you recall any of that? Service, whatever service you're providing, and that could be, you know, anything, practically everything we do is a service to the rest of the the community. Um, and be in the present moment. Just know that this too shall pass. And um, it, it just reminds me of an example that you gave. There was a young boy who was like six years old. He was autistic, and he got lost in the woods. And something about that whole incident was helpful to you. Do you recall that story? One of the things that Francis does in the book is to uh, comment on uh, contemporary news stories. Uh, And again, this is a collaboration between the two of us, so I'm sure that news story is in my head as much as hers. And she said there's going to be a lot of suffering, a lot of challenging situations that we're all going to face in the upcoming years. And I said, I'm a mess just listening to a story of a six-year-old autistic kid getting lost in the woods in South Carolina. You know, what am I going to do with a lot 
lot of suffering, you know. And she said, reframe the story. And he died, actually. Right, yes. they found him dead, yeah. And uh, she said, the mother was on TV, and we all, we all gave her our love. We all connected with her because she was so distraught. 150 volunteers went out looking for this kid, and they found him dead. But there were 150 people that put themselves in service uh, to that um, situation. And then he was found dead. And she says, as the end of it, that he's with us here now. Um, and he's not this little lost autistic boy that was scared of, of being in the world. So it gives some comfort there that brought people together. And oftentimes in disasters, that's when the best of us shows right. up. When, like here, you and I live in the Bay Area, we've had fires and earthquakes and other places, there are hurricanes and floods and all sorts of things, and it seems to bring out the best in, in certain people rather than the worst. We could name experience after experience or story after story of the violence that's happening now, the horrible uh, mass shootings that are going on, the kids in, in uh, Parkland, uh, Florida, yes. um, Christchurch in New Zealand, where somebody went in and just machine gunned a whole bunch of people. And it's horrible. It is just unbelievably bad. However, what happens is that thousands of people come together because of that incident. Look, the Parkland kids galvanized kids all over the country to march against gun violence, and that wouldn't have happened without Parkland. And that's the kind of point that Frances tries to make. And she always prefaces it by saying, uh, you know, I'm not overlooking the, the pain and the grief and the, the horror of the situation, but look at it from a larger context. What happens? Thousands of people come in motion because of one incident. Even though we don't know the outcome, just doing that act together somehow connects us with that love. I guess that's all I can say. It's like, and you started this whole program talking about love and God is being described as that perfect love. In those moments, I feel we really come in contact with that energy. And somehow the door doesn't ever quite close up again once we've experienced that. And it's usually coming out of doing some service to another. Is that your experience? That's certainly my experience in my own work. Uh, I've been involved with social justice issues and anti-racism and all that practically all my life. And uh, when things happen, you know, like a single murder of a of a black kid in in uh, you know somewhere else, I mean, it galvanizes all these people. We know that's not right. We know that we don't want to live in that kind of world. And um, something in us responds to that. And like you said, it's love. It's based on love, and and I think that that just adds to the collective consciousness at that point. Did Francis talk any say anything about the collective consciousness? Is it evolving? Will it? Is it evolving in good ways? Are we doing better than we have? <laughs> are we are we getting better as a species, or are we going downhill? 
she won't commit to that. I've asked her that in, in 10 different ways, and she said, I don't know. I'm not privy to what's going to happen. I asked her, is this another extinction? You know, is our species done? And she said, I don't know. I th- you know, she says, I think there still will be people, humans, to carry on, and hopefully they will carry on the best of us. But we don't know that yet for sure. And so um, I've asked her, you know, how many millions of people are going to die in these upcoming upheaval? She said, I don't know. I'm not privy to that um, kind of, uh, you know, vision of the future. Um, so, you know, I don't have an answer to that. I just know that we're going to be into much more challenging situations in this next 10 years coming up. So we can shrink when we hear that. We can kind of want to pull the covers up over our heads when we hear that because it's not something we want to really think about or face. But through this book, The Seven Questions About Life After Life, it helps to kind of unclench our our bodies and to relax a little more and to say, okay, hey, it's not pretty right now and it may get worse, but we're in it together and it won't be forever. That that energy in life goes on is what this this collaboration is really saying. Absolutely. And one of the things that, I mean, I've learned a lot and not everything she said was, you know, uh, did I take it face value, you know, and say, oh, that must be true. One of them is we come in, we are born with a purpose. That one I've had to learn and get used to, and I can say now that I do accept that as a reality. But you and I came into this timing. Why did we come in right now? Why did we come in at the end of the 20th century and, you know, and do the work that we did? And uh, it's because we knew that was going to happen. We wanted to be on hand for the chaos. Now, I don't know whether everybody's on board with that, but there were so many of us that planted the seeds of love and connection and community um, and harmony and respect for the earth uh, in the second half of the 20th century. And that's because we knew what was coming up. So, like you're saying, the incarnation, those of us, like, born since, I don't know, since 1940, let's say, or 39 or 35 or something, there are a whole bunch of people that have have come in that knew that there was a life purpose, and that's to be here as, I think, use the phrase in the book, first responders. Yeah. And what what does that mean to you? I love that term because I think first responders means the, you know, the police and the fire people and the people are responding to an emergency like one of these mass shootings and all of those things. Um, but I also see it as a kind of spiritual first responder as well. You know, we're there with the message that there's a larger picture going on here. This is not, you know, the awfulness of all of this should be framed by the sense that this is part of a cycle of Earth. The Earth rebalances, the Earth resets itself, and I think we'd agree that it's, you know, it's time for a reset, uh, for sure. And to do the best we can to be helpful and make helpful choices rather than being more of the problem. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Cynthia Spring, and she is the collaborator of a book with Dr. Francis Vaughn, Seven Questions About Life After Life, 
Book One. If you want to know more about our work, you can go to our website, cindyspring.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Cindy Spring. She is the co-collaborator of a book with Dr. Francis Vaughn, Seven Questions About Life After Life, book one. And um, Cindy, I'd like to talk about spirit guides. Um, I often use that phrase for myself when I want to contact other realms is invisible. I call it the invisible realm, and I ask for my guides and spirit guides to come to me. Am I just blowing smoke there? Is what what is that real? Is that something that's really available? From everything I've read, and certainly what Francis says is that we all have spirit guides. We're born when we're born, we get one assigned to us, and this is a more evolved spirit. Um, but we can have two or three, um, and so uh, they're there. But we have to ask them for help, and we also uh, sometimes when we ask them, they don't respond in the ways that we would like them to, uh, and that's because they're more savvy about what our life purpose is. And say, for instance, if you get a diagnosis that's not, you know, um, that's troubling, and you say, "Could you please just get rid of this?" You know, and uh, and that doesn't happen. And um, but what does happen is you get through whatever the medical situation is, and you come out stronger and uh, more conscious of uh, the preciousness of life and all kinds of things of people who have come through cancer and other serious diseases. I'm just using that as an example. But spirit guides are there to, I think, prevent uh, accidents from happening. I mean, you know how there are so many times when I should have been in an accident, you know, but something helped me see, oh, there was a person in the crosswalk or that car was coming from the other side. And I've come to believe that that's spirit guides, you know, expanding our, our awareness to say, watch out, look out for that. And so that, that to me, and, and parking places, I have a spirit guide named Michael. <laughs> and I mean, he, it works. I can't tell you how wonderful it works. It just works. Michael gets me parking places in the most difficult, crowded places. It's a very low-level talent, but it's one that comes in handy sometimes. <laughs> and uh, and Francis says, yes, we have spirit guides that help us all the way through our lives. That just reminds me, Ben, what about suicide? So if we get a diagnosis or something, um, then for those who choose to 
take their own life and and move out of it. What what is said? Is there any comment made in the book or in absolutely both in book one and now coming up a little bit more in book two? Uh, I asked her about that, and she said, you know, some people's. Um, Life purpose, their plan just didn't work out. They had unexpected circumstances. They got involved in an opioid addiction or something like that. It's just not working. I mean, that's one kind of uh, choice, you know, to say, I'm out of here. I, it's not working out, and uh, I'm going to try again another time. Uh, and the other one that I wrote about, actually, in Wave and Drop, there's a whole chapter on the right to death laws that are being passed. California has one now in place. And uh, with the help of a, a doctor uh, and a sign-off from, I think, a psychologist, you can uh, decide to take your own life. Only if you have a diagnosis. That you have is, to have a diagnosis, uh, that, that's of That's saying you have a limited time. It's right. not just anybody can do it, but you, you've got, like, they, I think six months to live is what your diagnosis is, and then you might be able to tap into that, although that may change as time goes on. Yeah, you know, it's, it's surprising. It started in Oregon by a man named, I believe, is uh, Peter Goodwin, and uh, he was the promoter of that. It took him years and years to get it, but Oregon passed the first right-to-die laws in the country. He ended up using, him, using it himself, but during the first 12 years of its existence, um, only a thousand people availed themselves. They expected thousands and thousands of people to uh, to use it, and it didn't happen that way. And it's not happening here. And there was concerns that somebody was going to want the inheritance from the family, or you know, uh, play some hanky panky. None of that is happening, and very few people are actually doing it. So it's for extreme situations. And the good news is, according to Francis, anyway, that uh, there's no uh, stigma. You know, you come back, you're accepted, you're part of the community and all of that. And, you know, uh, it's you learn from it. You learn you know, from your experience. I, in my personal experience with that, Michael's son took his own life. And, it, and it, his life became so difficult. He, it turned out we didn't know at the time he was bipolar. And we kept working with him psychologically. And it was before they really had a lot of medicines that would help to regulate someone in this situation. And he, when he took his life, he did it in a very, very conscious way. And in, in the way he did it, we were absolutely sure that he made his, he wrote a letter, he, 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 let, he did everything. And all we could think about was, and we got some help, like with people like Helen Palmer and others who, who have this ability, psychic ability, he took a warrior's way out in that way, mm -hmm. that it's not easy to do, to decide to do that. Mm -hmm. But in some way, we miss him tremendously, but it is a choice in some ways. And, mm -hmm. and if it's done in such a way where you're left with it's not like jumping off a bridge and suddenly you say in the middle of your fall, oh, I wish I hadn't have done this. It wasn't like that. It was very conscious. And I, I, not that I'm advocating this, but somehow it was a comfort. And I, we looked at it as a warrior's way in some way, like you say, to reset his life, to start again in, without that difficult circumstance. 
I, I think that's lovely, and I think that what uh, what you're saying is you're looking at his situation, okay, rather than your situation. You're feeling grief. You're feeling guilt. Perhaps you should have done something you didn't do. Okay, it's his situation, and you've got to honor the fact that that was his choice. Exactly, exactly. So um, going on and moving on from suicide, as we come to the close of our conversation, I would like for you to... Share with us anything that you can say about intuition. That was very important to Frances when she was alive. Her Awakening Intuition was one of her books, and it was very important. What did she have to say, and what do you know and feel about intuition? The fourth question of the Seven Questions book is, what are the portals? What are the ways that we can experience the greater reality? And number one, she talks about intuition because she was very familiar with it and had studied it. You know, this sense, you know, it's not a um, left brain sense that you worked it out and thought about it. It's something that comes to you that you feel, oh, there may be something right about this or I should pay attention to this. And so that's the opening of the door of intuition. That um, moves right into psychic abilities, which the people who studied them say we all have. Um, Stephen Schwartz and Russell Targ and all these people with their wonderful books, you know, say we all have them. It's an aptitude, just like, and it's distributed in the in the species, uh, which is nice to know. And uh, and we also talk about other kinds of portals that people can use to uh, access the greater reality. Uh, some like psychic abilities, uh, experimenting with out of body kinds of things. But you know, we have tried and true ones also, like art and poetry and beautiful sunsets. And those can be opening uh, doors for the greater reality as well. So each person has to find the best portal for themselves to get beyond the sense that we are in some kind of box, some kind of space-time box. And I would say that with intuition, it may not come to us just straight on like a like a Mack yeah. truck, you know, and just kind of blast us out like, oh, we get this great idea and it comes bubbling up in yeah. in full technicolor. Uh, but it might be just something like a little like a bird moving yeah. out of a garden, something out of the corner of your eye, something catches your eye and you notice it, and that's where I think. Francis would say, follow that, even if it's just kind of small, follow that. Is that your experience? Absolutely, yeah. Um, when, once you start working with it, you really get the difference between thinking and intuition. You know, intuition is another sense, like seeing and tasting and hearing. You know, it's just simply another sense. It's a sense modality in which information comes in, but you're not thinking about it. You're simply maybe ask, posing a question, you know, and uh, should I do this or should I do that? What should I do? You know, and just be quiet and allow it to show up rather than think it through. So, again, you're, you're saying it's getting out of that analytical mind, right. which we, we, we've developed to the nth degree. And so it's starting to train ourselves to access another part of ourselves. Right. In fact, uh, Frances, who was uh, considered very, very bright, very smart, I'm sure she had a very high intellectual IQ, um, says several times, she said, the analytical mind is really overrated. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it certainly has taken us far and maybe further than we really needed to go. Well, it's out of balance, I think, is what, what she would say. Yeah, yeah. the balance. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So can you share with us anything here at the end of our conversation about what you would like people to receive, what gift you would like people to receive from this book and this collaboration? I asked uh, Francis at the end, and I put it in the epilogue, what, what's the one-liner, what's the one message that you would like our book to communicate? And it's the same message that she opened up with, which is, death is a transition. Death is a transition. We are souls, and we have bodies that express themselves in space-time, and then the bodies go on their way and disappear, go back into the earth. We are souls, and we are immortal and inviolate, and we are part of the beloved community. Beautiful. So thank you so much. That really wraps it up in so such a beautiful way. Thank you so much, Cindy, for being with us today on New Dimensions. You're very welcome. Thank you. I've been speaking with Cindy Spring. She is a collaborator with Dr. Frances Vaughn of the book Seven Questions About Life After Life, Book One. And if you want to know more about her work, you can go to her website, cindyspring.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3688. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions, as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore new dimensions.